1: Ah, welcome there back we to We're out in Iowa with our good friend John D.C. Here's the thing. For the next three months, everybody in America that does the talking head stuff like I do is going to pretend like they know about Iowa. We don't. We don't have a clue. So we're going to do what we did last time we need to do. it. We're going to talk to John because he actually does know it. How are you, my friend? Great to have you
0: back. Oh, things are good in Iowa City.
1: Yeah, I I always enjoy every now and then I'll do a radio hit out in Iowa and I always tell them it's great to be with you in Iowa, even if only on the radio. That's usually because it's the wintertime or the summertime. It's either too hot or too cold because you don't really have that in between,
0: do you? Uh, we're kind of on our one just right day of the year right now.
1: <laughs> Good stuff. As long as you get the corn in, right? Um, Yeah,
0: corn's coming in. Beans are coming in. Things are are good out in the field.
1: All right. Well, you guys got your greatest import every four years. You got a slew of presidential candidates running around. I want to start here, though, because everybody's talking about the Republicans, and rightfully so. But before we dig into them, you know, last time we talked, you had just pretty much thrown your hands up at the Democratic caucus a little bit. You were Mm -hmm. frustrated with it. What's different this year? And we'll talk about the Democrats in just a second, because they really are doing something different here, especially now that there's not really a primary to go through. And we'll tee up on that. Mm -hmm. What's different 2024 than 2022 or 2020? Or since we're going to do Trump and Biden again, 2016, for that matter? Mm -hmm.
0: What is different? Well, uh, looking at the Republican side, in 2016, uh, it was a pretty competitive race, and uh, Trump was just one out of many. He didn't win Iowa. Of course, Ted Cruz won Iowa. He only got about maybe a quarter of the caucus vote. Uh, Now, he's been sitting pretty comfortably and pretty immobily at the 50-60 range and uh, I don't see anything dislodging him uh, from a strong first place finish and the also rands are so splintered that it's going to be really difficult to even identify who the anti-trump is coming out of Iowa
1: Yeah, and I wanted to ask you that right off the bat because here's the narrative that's going around, especially since the last two debates, because we've had two debates. This field is set. we know who's doing what now. The numbers are not moving. I mean, they're moving three or four points, but statistically, you've done this a long time. If you're just bouncing around the mean, the number isn't really actually moving. This race has been static since probably June or July, really. It's nothing happening. Mm -hmm. The pitch from the DeSantis people and from everybody else, too, but he's the number two, so that's who they're paying attention to, is, well, none of this matters. We're going to have a ground game in Iowa. You've seen a lot of ground games in Iowa. Does the ground game in Iowa line still matter the way it once does? And more importantly to the point, what you just said, does it matter against Donald Trump because this isn't an open field, this isn't a regular incumbency We've never seen a poll like what we're seeing in Iowa right now where you got somebody over 50 percent in a crowded field right now that was a former president. We're kind of off the map a little bit. Does the ground game still matter, do you think?
0: The ground game has mattered less and less and less uh, since uh, about the last 10 years or so Uh, on the Democratic side in 2020. Uh, 2020, uh, it wasn't even the Iowa ground game that broke people out of the pack. It was national internet-based fundraising, and uh, that's how Buttigieg caught fire. Uh, Klobuchar had some ground game, uh, but that's Democrats. Uh, I think the ground game matters less and less and less as the nomination contests have become more and more nationalized.
1: Yeah, it feels that way, John Deese, joining us out in Iowa That brings up the question, though, that we always ask you, and you always kind of, you know, I'm sorry, it's just your lot in life that you have chosen. (laughs) I know. The Iowa caucuses, this feeds into the identity crisis of what it is, why it is, and who it is, right? Because if the ground game stuff don't matter, remember that you just talked about 2020, the fourth-place guy was some guy named Joe Biden. wonder whatever happened to him. Yeah, Trump didn't win in 2016. He was second to Ted Cruz. That Ted Cruz operation is who's basically running the DeSantis Super PAC that's bragging about all the money they're dumping into Iowa right now, and you're seeing those Mm -hmm. folks. This just feeds into the questions of what is Iowa's caucus now, does it not?
0: I've heard uh, Republican friends tell me off the record uh, this is probably going to be the last time that the Iowa Republicans are first in the nation as well. It's just not uh, one of the arguments against Iowa going first among the Democrats is it's not nationally representative. It's not really nationally representative on the Republican side either. It's representative of one faction within the Republican coalition, but it's not really uh, the voting system is so different in a caucus than in a primary, Uh, and the state party infrastructure is pretty much solid for Trump, uh, with the exception of the governor who's, uh, you know, putting her finger to the wind and trying to see how she can benefit the best from it all. Uh, (laughs) So uh, it's uh, the, the days of the Iowa caucuses are over on one side and nearly over on the other side.
1: How unfair is it to say that this thing about the Iowa caucuses really doesn't have anything to do with the voters and the candidates? It's the machinery of the consultants that has built up Iowa and New Hampshire and South Carolina and Nevada. Those first four states, you know, those are the big early ones. Mm -hmm. So much of the political machine, the business of running for president, national elections are built up on having to put a lot of money into these early states like in Iowa, like in New Hampshire that's really who's fighting this more than just the rank and file and that's the piece that's kind of missing on everybody it was like well, why what? are we chasing our tails on that Well, because it's really, really big business ahead of just the attention, right?
0: A lot of money involved in it, yeah. And the thing about a caucus state is you're only appealing to the very narrow group of party activists who can take an evening and attend a meeting, uh, either a relatively short meeting for the Republicans or a very long meeting for uh, what the Democrats used to do. Uh, And that's not going to be representative of average voters, swing voters, anything like that. Uh, you're getting to the the base of the base. Even the most highly attended caucus is still running below uh, a uh, U.S. Senate primary, for example.
1: Yeah, uh, John Deese joining us. You just mentioned her. I found the governor of Iowa, how she handled, you know, the soapbox days, the Iowa State Farm days. She did the open forums where she invited the candidates mm-hmm. in. I've, as an outside observer that just watches the politics, I found it so interesting how she handled these candidates because she's not a non-Trump person, but she just can't quite bring herself to be a Trump person this particular time. Now, some of that is because she's hosting, so I'll give her the benefit of the doubt on that. It just felt weird. The whole thing felt weird. How mm-hmm. is Trump actually doing when he shows up? Because we see the viral clips. We see him going to the Iowa game, that kind of stuff. How's he actually doing when he shows up? Because that here we go with this ground game thing again. is like, well, he just shows up and leaves. He's not putting time in. And I does he need to? The governor thing felt weird. The Trump stuff feels
0: weird. What's it actually like there, though? He doesn't need to put the time in. He's an eight hundred pound gorilla in this field, uh, in a field of uh, uh, small, uh, you know, spider monkeys, <laughs> and uh, and uh, his people. The, the rally attendance is down a little bit, but, uh, there are, there's a strong core of voters who is simply going to show up whenever they ch- get a chance to vote for Trump and for Trump ism and, uh, they'll show up at the caucus meeting. They'll, they'll vote and they'll go home. And then the party regulars will choose the committee members. Uh, and assuming he's a nominee, which I'm assuming, uh, they'll show up on election day and vote for him and maybe vote Republican the rest of the way down the ballot. Maybe not. Uh, one of the smarter things I've heard anybody say, uh, in recent months was, uh, Dana Hool from, uh, daily Coast, uh, took a look at the whole, at the big picture of American politics and said that the issue is there's a third of Americans who believe that a different third of Americans are not legitimately Americans and should not have the full rights of citizenship. And that's really Trumpism in a nutshell. And there's a lot of people in dying small town Iowa, who maybe wouldn't articulate it that clearly, but that's where their minds are.
1: Yeah, John Deese, I've been talking about this, but you know it way better than me. So just talk about the numbers for a minute. People are like, well, it's just polling, polling don't matter. Okay. <laughs> Ted Cruz in 2016 won Iowa in a multi-headed race by 27% and change. Mm-hmm. Steve Judge won 2020 with 26% and change, statistically about the same thing. Yeah. Donald Trump's polling over 50%. He can lose half of his polling right now and probably still win the Iowa caucus. I'm not saying it can't happen. It would just be Mm -hmm. something we've never, ever seen before. Yeah. Talk about because you already mentioned it. These are small numbers, these are small groups. He doesn't need 40, 50%. He needs 25 to 30%. That's always kind of been the magic number in a crowded field in Iowa.
0: Yeah, the dynamic is such that this is a race for second. It reminds me more than any other race uh, of the 84 Democratic race uh, where Mondale was miles ahead of the field. He wasn't obviously a uh, former president, but he was a former vice president. Uh, He had a lot of the party regulars with him. And then there was a battle below the radar for second. Uh, Gary Hart wound up winning that battle uh, against uh, John Glenn and George McGovern. And eight days after the Iowa caucuses, Gary Hart won New Hampshire uh, because the race in Iowa that year was to be the not Mondale. And the race in Iowa this cycle is to be the not Trump. Uh, and the question is going to be whether those never Trump or anti Trump voters are going to consolidate behind DeSantis or possibly behind Haley or whether they're just going to splinter because it's in nobody's interest to drop out. Everybody understands that we need to consolidate behind one, not Trump, but everybody thinks it's going to be them.
1: Yeah, and the calendar, and you're big on the calendar. In fact, it's the pinned mm-hmm. tweet on your Twitter page right now. Yeah. The calendar matters here because Scott and Haley aren't going to drop out till South Carolina. That's the right. first one. So now you're already into, you know, March for practical purposes. Yeah, you're about Christy's to gonna, Tuesday. Yeah, Christie's going to stay in through New Hampshire at least. These other folks aren't going to drop out. DeSantis isn't going to drop out no matter what, because he's got enough money to stick around. So you're going to have at least, Vivek rhymes with snake, rhymes with fake. He's not going to drop out anytime soon. You're going to have at least six or seven people in those first four primaries. And if Trump wins
0: three out of those four, this puppy's over. Yeah. And then it becomes really interesting. If you get into a situation where these trials come to a head, uh, Trump's never going to jail. Uh, he, my theory has always been that if it looks like he's going to get a sentence, he's going to uh, decamp and leave the country. He owns a uh, Trump resort in Dubai where there's no extradition treaty. Uh, so that's my theory. But let's say you get a scenario where Trump has, uh, Trump, let's say you get a scenario where Trump has clinched the delegates to clinch the nomination, but is somehow removed from competition for the nomination, those delegates are going to be the Trumpiest of the Trumpy. And who are they going to go with? That's the only scenario in which I see Trump not being the nominee is if he is elected as the nominee. And then for whatever reason, winds up leaving the race by choice or yeah. not.
1: And that's really, I hate to put it this way, but that's the only hope these candidates have. And they're Here's the thing. They can say with their words all they want to, I don't see them really attacking Trump. They're doing it a little bit more now, but not the way you normally would. They're just hoping he goes away still. That's what their actions tell me when I watch them.
0: And Mm -hmm. I've been
1: watching this stuff for a little while. Their actions tell me they're still just hoping the Trump thing will go away. It's not just
0: going to go away. Yeah, they can't attack Trump because that backfires on them. Uh, The only it it also doesn't work to try to be Trumpier than Trump because, you know, you can't compete on that level. The only uh, angle that seems to work is questioning whether he can beat Biden. Uh, And you can't even call him a loser because most of the Republican base doesn't believe he lost in 2020.
1: John Deese, our man out in Iowa. What? Let's talk about President Biden for a second because something really is interesting for, you know, us election geek folks a little bit. They're going to have to do some kind of a draw run for the new Iowa Democratic how they do things here. Now, RFK Jr. has you know decided to go independent route. He wasn't going to win anyway. There's not going to be by. a primary except on. Yeah, good riddance. There's not going to be anything but a primary on paper but now you have a dry run after all this mess. We talked about it last year with you, all this mess in the Democratic side of the House on how they're going to conduct themselves going forward. You've been talking about this a little bit. What should they do? Do you spend the money for a full-blown run-through? Do you try to get the kinks out wide? for all practical purposes, nobody's watching. So if it's a you know mess up, nobody's going to really care. What would you do if you were running the election stuff with this opportunity to like, hey, here's,
0: here's a dry run. What do we do with it? Well, the only real reason at this point with Kennedy out of the Democratic race uh, to conduct uh, a mail-in party-run primary for the Iowa Democrats is simply to prove that we know how to count votes because there's some legitimate question that the iowa democratic party knows how to count votes there were questions in 2016 there were questions in 2020. Uh, the state party has been extremely tight-lipped about what they're going to do uh, the when this started back last summer the idea was that we were going to conduct this mail-in vote before the January 15th caucus and announce those results on caucus night. Nobody seriously seems to be thinking that that's happening now. But we haven't said that it's not happening, which is why New Hampshire is uh, hedging on its date, because they consider a mail in party run primary to be you know, stepping on their toes. Uh, most one of the things I've assumed has been happening is that Uh, There's higher ups in the Iowa Democratic Party, in particular, DNC member Scott Brennan, who are lobbying the DNC to try to get back into the early states. Uh, As you may remember, uh, the order that uh, President Biden set forth was South Carolina, followed by Nevada and New Hampshire together, followed by Georgia and then Michigan uh, fifth. Georgia pulled out of the early states because the Georgia Republicans wouldn't cooperate. So what I think is happening right now is that the Iowa Democratic Party's higher-ups are lobbying the DNC to try to get that Georgia slot, which would be February 13th or 20th. That's not going to happen. The whole reason for the calendar reform was to get rid of Iowa, but there's some people in the Iowa Democratic Party's donor class who are clinging to that and hoping that uh, Iowa can keep at least in the early states, but in order to do that, they've got to conduct a vote and prove that they can count the votes.
1: Yeah, John Deese, this is one of the reasons I want to talk to you about it, because you understand that it's not just the case, you got to have a good process, and the yeah. problem optically for people that don't follow this stuff is when they watch the Iowa caucuses the last couple times. It looked like chaos on TV, even though it really wasn't all that bad, although the Democratic thing got pretty ugly with, you know, (laughs) where you couldn't figure out a winner until you would actually already gone to the next primary. Mm -hmm. It just looks bad optically. And that's really the biggest problem, isn't It's like you have to have a process where even if people don't understand it. It just looks right on TV because that's just the age we live in now where everybody's got a cell phone and all those caucus stuff, which was quaint and funny, and it was crazy and chaos. Now on viral video, it looks bad without the context. That's
0: a problem. That 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 is a problem. And the Iowa Democratic Party recognized it was a problem. They surveyed their own members. Their own members said it was a problem. So a lot of that stuff is gone. There's going to be no more realignment, no more stand in the corner for two, three hours, uh, no more twisting arms and trying to persuade. The January 15 caucus meeting is simply going to be Uh, the party activists show up it's going to be really low attendance Uh, they elect an unpledged set of delegates to the next level of convention, they elect their committee members and they talk about the platform no presidential voting at all and the vision for the presidential vote is uh, you send in your uh, ballot to the Iowa Democratic Party, they count them up, they announce the results, which is something that uh, people outside of Iowa and outside of the insular or little world of iowa democratic caucus politics will understand there's going to be a number and there's going to be a winner and presumably that winner is going to be the president uh i don't think there's a real hotbed of marianne williamson support out here uh i was told that there was a kennedy supporter in my town uh i don't know what's happened with him but there was one. A, kennedy. Somebody, so, a it was singular yes <laughs> <laughs>
1: Uh, God help that poor person, John Dees out in Iowa. Let's talk about Biden for just a second, though, because all these presidential candidates are going to tell me over and over again that Iowa is the real American. So I'm going to take him at his word for it. How is the president playing? Because, you know, we we get caught up on social media. He has bad viral moments. He has some good viral moments. Mm -hmm. What do they actually think about Joe Biden? Because I think there's two things you have to talk about with Joe Biden. One is his obvious liabilities as a candidate. He's too old. He fobbles. He does all the baked in Sheriff Joe, Uncle Joe, Crazy Joe stuff that we've known for 50 years. But then you have to put in the other fact is like all those problems get mitigated if you put him against Donald Trump. So I think you have those twin parallels. What is it playing like in somewhere like Iowa, though? What are people actually thinking about President Biden now?
0: (sighs) I think, uh, and I'm in an insular little world in an academic town, uh, the Democratic activists seem uh, comfortable or at least accepting of Biden 2.0, or I guess it would be Biden 4.0 because he had those two other runs. Uh, People seem accepting of the fact that he is going to be the nominee. There's not a uh, Bernie faction looking for Bernie 3.0. There's not, you know, the the Buddha judge people are all on board. Uh, you get outside of the insular little world of democratic politics, and it simply becomes a partisan thing. You get out into those rural towns uh, where they think every Democrat is a pedophile. It doesn't matter whether it's Biden or whether it's Harris or whether it's whoever. Uh, it's just the D after your name is fatal, uh, and there's you know there's a lot of our rural activists who don't even want to put their signs up because they don't like bullet holes in their signs. So uh, it's just this fear and frustration among the Democrats in the non in the non blue areas, which is most of the state anymore. I think what happened in 2020 was that voters in general thought there was this unspoken bargain. Okay, we'll. Vote for Biden. Uh, He's acceptable to the normies. Uh, He's so old that he's only going to serve one term. Uh, The normies will vote for him to get rid of Trump. Trump will lose and Trump will go away. Uh, The problem with that theory is Biden's never said he was only going to run for one term. And Trump never said he was going to go away. Uh, Nobody really wants this rematch, but nobody ever signed on for that unspoken deal that people thought they had in 2020.
1: Yeah, John Deeth joining us. I think you're absolutely right about that, except there's people like us who actually pay attention to stuff going, no, 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 Joe Biden didn't wait 55 years to be president just to do one term. You're going to have to drag him out of there. And of course, here Mm -hmm. he is. And there's no way Trump was going to go away quietly. He's going to keep doing this until the wheels fall off or he gets extradited or whatever happens. I think yeah. you're 100% right on that, but that leads me to my back to the Iowa GOP primary we're looking at. I try to pay attention to this as best I can, and we opened up with this. Observing this race, the poll numbers are not moving. The ground game stuff isn't working. I just don't see a slick bit of evidence that less than 30% of the GOP primary does not want Donald Trump, and that's the whole story of this GOP primary to me. Am I wrong?
0: Yeah. The fact that no one was able to get any traction and the fact that no one uh, has established themselves as the not Trump, it's not even a thing where you get a non-Trump of the month and you get another non-Trump of the month. It's just been he's been steady at around. 50 60 percent uh ever since launch date and i don't see how that is going to budge uh he is what the republican base wants
1: John Deeth. Okay. Let's have a little fun because this is kind of heavy. Put your hat on for your wizardry. 2024 is upon us. You know, it's like the asteroid. Everybody talks Iowa. And then a week later, everybody forgets it for three you know, years. And then we come back mm-hmm. to it. 2028 though, because this is how it's been with Iowa. Usually the second we're done with this, the 2028 folks start showing up in Iowa. This might be different because the caucus system may change, but on the Democrat side though, some of those folks have already been poking their nose around just in case it doesn't change. What do you see for 2028? Because Biden, I it, this is me projecting, this is just my opinion, so take it for a grain of salt. I think he's the last coalition candidate we're going to see for the Democrats. I think the Democratic Party is going to go through some things when Biden passes off the scene because they're going to have to readjust now. They're not going to have a coalition candidate like him again. You got a lot of names floating out there. Harris going to run Newsom's going to run. The governor of Illinois has got a billion dollars. He's probably going to run. There'll be others. What do you think 2028 looks like since it's probably going to be a little bit different, Because some of those folks have already been talking to some of your folks and you've already seen them poking their heads around.
0: I think 2028 is going to be nationalized and that Iowa is going to be a very, very small piece of that on the Democratic side. Uh, I think uh, putting South Carolina first was very, very much done by uh, by the president uh, on behalf of his vice president. Uh, I think it's going to be very, very difficult to knock off uh, an incumbent vice president who's got the sitting president's tacit support. Uh, that's assuming that uh, she's not already president by that point. Uh, and in that case, I'd say it's game over. Uh, there's not the... Uh, there's not the oomph there to primary challenge a uh, incumbent president. There's still people who have nightmares about Ted Kennedy and uh, Jimmy Carter. Uh, I, judge th- will be back at some point, whether that's in 28 or further down the road. Uh, Newsom, uh, a lot depends upon how he manages to thread this needle after the Senate appointment. Uh, that was uh, a real... A real difficult thing for him, and Barbara Lee's people are still pretty unhappy about the fact that she wasn't appointed. She felt like she deserved that. Pritzker, uh, maybe. Uh, The party activists seem to think fairly uh, well of him. Uh, You know who's been to Iowa quite a bit is... Tim Walls, the governor of Minnesota. Now, I don't know whether he's simply doing the Iowa Democratic Party a favor by coming in to do counter-programming events to the Republican candidates, whether he's a stalking horse for Klobuchar, uh, but he's been here at least three times and nobody else has been around. We've got our uh, our county party is having its fall fundraiser this weekend, and historically, that's been a place where we get uh, presidential-level surrogate speakers or uh, administration officials. Uh, our speaker this year is the Dirt Road Democrat who uh, ran for a Missouri legislative seat, uh, so that's a sign of where... We're at a year before a presidential race is we've got a party activist as our guest speaker when we used to get all the presidential candidates.
1: Yeah, it's interesting how times change, but that talking about Vice President Harris. So that brings us right back to Iowa and how it has changed, though, because I said it I was like, you know, she didn't even make it to Iowa in her own presidential campaign. Normally, that would be a, you know, sort of a death nail kind of thing. But now you're saying it may not matter that much. That's how much things have changed, even just in four years.
0: Yeah. What's going to matter is going to be the national polls, the national fundraising. Uh, who goes somebody could go viral the way that Buttigieg judge basically did uh the bernie faction is going to have somebody running whether that's AOC or rokana or whoever uh, but there's going to be somebody uh and that faction in Iowa at least is maybe 20 percent of the of the uh, primary slash caucus electorate uh so if the field is splintered that 20 percent ish might be enough for a win, uh, but it's not enough for a nomination because we saw what happened in 2020. uh, As soon as candidates started failing and Sanders started finishing first in states, everybody very rapidly consolidated behind Joe Biden.
1: Yeah, John Deeth. All right, let me throw you one more hypothetical and then I'll leave you alone. Uh, Let's say let's just take the money line if we were betting on things. Uh Democrats retake the House They probably lose the Senate or it's closed Just because the math is so bad for them this year Even even if the yeah. Republicans completely wet the bed They're probably going to get the Senate back So you flip Congress The exact opposite and Biden squeaks it out Again and wins five, four or five points Something decently fair Is that just a reset And we do this all over again for three more years that, that, It's going to kind of be unprecedented But it sure feels like that's where we're going Of just lather, rinse, repeat, don't it? <sighs>
0: It kind of does. Uh, I think the what's ultimately going to set the direction of the next uh, couple of years is going to be how these Trump trials shake out. If he gets an actual criminal conviction and has to go into exile, uh, that's going to be a real problem. I mean, he'll he'll keep loudmouthing wherever in the world he is. Uh, but it's real difficult to. Uh, you know, try to take over a country from exile. Uh, you can't have your uh, rallies and your your feel good from your rallies. Uh, it's not the same if you're doing it by video from Dubai. Uh, so then the question becomes, what happens to Trumpism without Trump? What happens to that third of America who thinks another third of America shouldn't have the rights of citizenship? Uh, and that really determines what happens. And then it also becomes a question of after eight years of Democratic control, getting a twelfth year of control is really tough for any party trying to keep the White House. We hasn't happened yeah. since uh, Reagan Bush.
1: Yeah, and that didn't work out real well for HW either, because it, and look, it was fatigue people forget we were talking about this with another guest the other time look you know 98 midterms was my first election so i remember that time period what clinton just hit perfectly the the end of the height of you know cable television news media the height of their power young mm-hmm. guy there was fatigue from you know years and years even though hw was you know very qualified he just he looked old sounded old talked old cuz he was old it was just kind of that confluence I can kind of see here after this next cycle, I think we're going to have one of those generational shift things, good or bad. I think you're definitely going to have a change in a hurry.
0: Yeah, well, it's, it's interesting because we had a general generational change. It's interesting because we had a generational change with Obama and then we changed back to the boomer generation and now Biden technically even before the boomer generation. Uh, if Harris is elected president, she'd be the first president younger than me. Uh, and she's not even that young. So uh something is something is gonna happen. Uh I mean, I live in a college community with a lot of young voters, and it's going to be really challenging next year to get people fired up for Grandpa Joe.
1: Yeah, it would be. And and Kamala Harris, you know, she would be 62, 63 by 2028. So uh-huh. we but you know, compared to Joe and Trump, that would feel young, but you know, we don't know the next young batch coming. John Deeth, always appreciate the time. Enjoy you getting us on for all this. Let folks know where they can follow you and keep up with you till we get you back on Hurt Tell again, my friend.
0: I'm still on whatever used to be called Twitter as my name, John Deeth.
1: Yep. And you got your turtle. I'll wear my turtle shirt next time for you, buddy. I appreciate you. Thanks for the time today, my friend.
0: All right. Fear the turtle.
1: Yes, sir. <laughs> All the music on Her Tell is provided under a Creative Content License from MonsterCat.com. Folks, if you've listened to the Her Tell program, you've heard our friend Gabriella Hoffman, but you need to make sure you're checking out her podcast, District of Conservation. It's a podcast exploring the nuances of true conservation efforts from DC and beyond. From topic discussions to exclusive interviews with conservation and energy newsmakers, Gabriella keeps listeners appraised of the latest news stories while elevating important voices. Listen to the District of Conservation on Apple Podcasts or wherever podcasts are played. Folks, you've heard of Ethan Brown on the Hurt Tell Show a couple of different times, but if you're interested in learning about how to discuss things like climate change without all the politics and doom and gloom, Head over to his podcast, The Sweaty Penguin. Sweaty Penguin is a late night comedy style climate podcast working to add nuance, critical thinking, humor, and hope to the climate conversation. They got over 100 episodes already breaking down weekly news stories and specific topics from the vanilla to the ADHD to the international accountability to orangutans. Yes, I know it's a comedy thing, so just go with it. But each time, Exploring different ways we can make progress on these issues while still helping the economy, health, security, and everything else we care about. If you feel overwhelmed, exhausted, or excluded by today's climate change discourse, this is the podcast for you. Find The Sweaty Penguin wherever you get your podcasts or at www.thesweatypenguin.com.
0: Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app.